Welcome to this week's edition of Ocean Allison, where I bring you the best in ocean science, education, and conservation through conversations with people who are creating positive change for the ocean. This episode's ocean advocate is Paul DeGelder. Paul is a shark attack survivor, now passionately advocating for the conservation of sharks around the world. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the show. Hi, Allison. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you on the Ocean Allison podcast today and to not only learn more about your story myself, but to also share it with my listeners. And listeners, I hope that you're going to be very um, intrigued and inspired by Paul's story because I know I am. Listeners, to give you a little bit of background on how Paul is joining me today on the show, honestly, I just found Paul uh, through Instagram. I, As you know, I'm a passionate diver, ocean advocate, plant-based eater, as so is Paul. And so, you know, he came across my Instagram quite a while ago, and I was very intrigued by his story and what he's doing and what he puts out into the world. So, you know, reached out and here he is on the show today. So, Paul, I do want to start out with asking you, what was your relationship with the ocean like when you were growing up in Australia? Uh, We grew up initially pretty close to the ocean so it was a pretty big deal my my dad was a police officer and also a swimming instructor in his spare time so my first swimming lesson was at two weeks old basically when he took me in and we were we'd been in and around the water constantly up until i was about 10 my grandfather used to take me spear fishing when i was a kid i was even too small to even cock the spear gun we had to put plastic bags on my hands and my feet to get them through the old wetsuits of when my auntie was a kid so it was we were pretty intimate the ocean and i but then when i was 10 my dad got posted and we moved away from the ocean we moved to the capital of australia which is a place called canberra and that's about an hour and a half two hours away from the ocean and we just we had a little bit of a falling out and it's funny because that's the same period of my life where things started to not go so well and it wasn't really until I joined the military and I was living in Sydney and around the ocean a lot more especially when I I joined the Navy that life started to get better and my mindset started to improve a, a lot more so now I just have this intrinsic connection to it whereby I could never see myself leaving the ocean. Yeah. And it's interesting that you had that experience where you did go away because it probably makes you, you know, value it. And now in hindsight, realize that it is so vitally important to you. Yeah, very much so. So like you just mentioned, you ultimately did join the military and, you know, the Australian Navy You became a Navy clearance diver. So clearly, you know, you became reconnected with the ocean after some time away from it and some struggles in your life. And like I mentioned in the intro, you were obviously bitten by a shark, shark attack survivor. You're still here today to tell the story and and now advocate for sharks. But what was your attitude towards sharks before your your incident with the shark in 2009? You know, what what did you think of them? Did you think of them? Did you care about them or hate them? You know, what was your attitude towards them before you were bitten? I was absolutely terrified of sharks, just like most people. Uh, And the funny thing is, like most people, 
I'd never even seen one. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's a crazy sort of uh, manifested fear that humans have over something that most of us have never seen. Uh, I thought <clears throat> in my uneducated mind that we should just wipe them out because that way we don't have to worry about them, kill them all, and then we can swim in the ocean safely and there's nothing to be afraid of anymore. But <clears throat> over the years, I've had the opportunity to learn from some very well-educated people that have worked in the ocean field of sharks for a very long time, and that changed the, my whole perspective. And so you hated sharks, you were totally scared of them, you know, you wanted to just get rid of them, even though you'd never seen one. And then in 2009, you were obviously bitten by a shark and lost two limbs. What were your feelings towards sharks, you know, before you were able to learn from these experts and, you know, start researching sharks, like you just mentioned, what were your feelings towards sharks shortly after your attack by the bull shark in 2009? Uh, and look, initially, I was pretty angry at the shark but that didn't last very long because it really wasn't about the shark it was more about you know i found myself in that situation in hospital because i chose an inherently dangerous life uh it wasn't because the shark was malicious and it wanted to eat me and i'm i'm a very practical thinking person you know i don't i try not to get highly emotional about things. And I think that's just something that comes through being in the military, looking at things from an outside perspective. And so I realized that I had chosen this path. Now, if it wasn't the shark, it could have been my motorbike. It could have been a bomb. It could have been a, a bullet from a gun. It could have been an accident jumping out of a helicopter or a plane. You know, I chose a, a dangerous life. So when you choose a path like that, or you choose to participate in a dangerous activity or something with risk, you can't get upset when something goes wrong. Otherwise, you shouldn't be there in the first place. And so I never really blamed the shark. There was, there was no desire to have them hunted down and culled or get retribution at all. I, I really just wanted to get on with life. So can you just, you know, describe for listeners just briefly, you know, what was the situation when you were bitten by the shark? Uh, so I was in Sydney Harbour uh, alongside the Navy base wharf. And this is an area where uh, we as clearance divers have worked for, for decades. Uh, I've personally dived and worked there for years. And so we, we never really felt danger there the water's murky we know there's sharks in the area there's been many reports of bull sharks in sydney harbour but they just never seem to bother us and we never really saw them so uh i wasn't too concerned but as usual when i get in the water i had sharks on the brain <laughs> i just push it to the back of my mind and get on with my job and i was swimming on the surface on my back pretending to be an attack swimmer uh, someone that might be putting bombs on a ship and a shark came up from underneath me. It grabbed me by the back of my right hamstring. And because my hand was by my side as well, it got my right hand in the same bite. Uh, and this is the most painful thing that I've ever encountered. It was, I can't even describe it to you. It's like being caught in a bear trap. And it's funny because you don't feel the teeth go in because they're so sharp. And they have a gel coating on them 
that allows them to slide into flesh quite easily. So all I really felt was the pressure of the jaws clamping down. But it wasn't until the shark actually started shaking me. And you take, you imagine that bear trap, but instead of those big spikes, it has 36 razor blades on either side and they move in unison and opposite directions, soaring through the flesh of your body. And that, you know, that's about as close to a description as I can get. And it lasted about eight to 10 seconds. Um, I, I was dragged underwater. I was drowning at the same time that I was in agony. And I, I realized how powerless I was. And I accepted the fact that I was going to die because the, I, I just, there was no way I could get out of that situation. Um, you just, you can't fight off a 600 pound shark. There's no way. And even though I tried, I definitely tried. I tried the eyeball, but I couldn't reach. I tried the, to push it off. I tried to punch it in the nose, but I just was a, a total victim. And so I accepted the fact that I was about to die. But fortunately, I didn't. And the shark removed my hamstring and my hand. And as it was swimming away, my wetsuit, which made me positively buoyant, uh, brought me to the surface. And I realized I was still alive and I thought I better get out of the water before this shark comes back. So I started swimming to my safety boat where my three teammates were. Um, and that was when I realized when I took the first stroke that my hand was gone. Having so much military training and so much medical training, I knew to try and stem the bleeding. I had to keep my, my wound above my heart. So I was swimming with my hand above my heart out of the water, but my leg was gushing blood. And I didn't know what was wrong with it at that point. I, just, I couldn't even feel my leg. Um, and I knew that even when I got into the boat, if I looked at the, the damage and it was horrific, my body would go into shock and I'd die. So I resigned myself to not even looking at what was wrong with my leg. All I focused on the whole time was looking at my buddy, talking to my buddy. As long as I could see him and hear his voice, I, I knew I was still alive. So that's all I focused on. And my teammates really came together and got me through that. Yeah, clearly. And, and you've recovered and you're extremely strong and you have prosthetics and you do an incredible amount of physically challenging activities now, which is amazing. I do want to ask you, what do you think the shark was thinking? I think sharks mainly work off instinct. Um, I think the shark, if it had actually hit the bone in my leg, because sharks have very sensitive teeth and gums because that's how they determine what their food is and they don't want to hurt themselves. So if it had actually hit the large femur bone in my leg, I think it probably would have let go. But because all it did was grab flesh, the big meaty chunk of my hamstring and the small bones in my hand, I think when the blood drifted into its mouth, it tasted that it was something living, it's something, it was food. So it continued to shake me around until my hamstring was totally sawn out. Um, and, and sharks really, they don't really need to eat that much. So maybe that was enough for it. Maybe as it was swallowing it, it realized it wasn't its normal food, but potentially it could have spat the flesh of my body out. But we'll never really know. No, you can't see through the water of Sydney Harbour. So no one saw it coming. No one really saw it leaving. It's just basically a mystery as to what happened after that. But the, the important thing is that you were focused on, on living and life and have really made the most of your life, I would say, since then. Something that you talk a lot about on social media and, and you know, in, in whatever press you do is that you're a plant-based eater, a vegan. I believe that that decision was made 
post-shark attack. I find it very interesting, and I wanted to get your perspective. You know, you were shown a very intense side of literally being a part of the ocean food chain. How did that impact your decision to no longer eat animals from the ocean as well as, you know, animals and animals products from the land? How did that impact your decision? It really wasn't a part of it at all, except in the fact that the cascading events that came after the shark attack played into it somewhat in the fact that I became a part of the conservation world. Uh, And in doing so, I began to be surrounded by certain people who were plant-based and vegan, and it really just kept popping up into my world. And I'm a firm believer that when the universe is speaking to you, when you take notice, you have to not just hear it, but you have to act on that. And what happened was I was in Africa filming a show about anti-poaching, and I was working with the founder of the International Anti-Poaching Foundation, a really amazing guy called Damien Mander. He's an Australian guy who actually used to do my job in the Navy as well. Then he became a, a military contractor. But he found a cause in saving the animals of Africa, the rhinos, the elephants, the giraffe, everything that's being poached. And I spent a couple of weeks with him in Africa, embedded with his anti-poaching unit. And one night at dinner... I saw that he had a separate pot to everyone else, to the other rangers. And I asked him about it and he said, oh, there's no meat in mine. I'm a vegan. And I just thought, what the hell is a vegan? Uh, I'd never really heard about it before. I'm like, like, what does that mean? He said, well, I don't eat meat and dairy. I'm I'm sure I had this confused expression on my face. Like, why? And he said, well, look, uh, I work in conservation and I'm protecting the animals and I was eating the animals. And I felt like a hypocrite. And that struck a chord with me because I just started out a life in conservation and I was trying to protect the animals and the sharks particularly. And yet I'm still eating the animals. And I felt like a hypocrite and I hate hypocrites. <laughs> I, I'm a firm believer in the do as I do, not as I say mentality. You know, lead from the front, lead by example. And I that that really struck a chord with me. And so I went home with that on my mind and I thought, all right, I'm going to give this a go. Totally unprepared for it. And it lasted two days. And, <laughs> and that was it. And then it, just over the next couple of months, you know, the seed had been planted and it kept popping up. And more people that I respected seemed to had changed to a vegan and plant-based lifestyle. And so I thought, okay, look, I can do this. No, this it's too prevalent in my life for me to dismiss it. And the more research I did, you know, there's certain things that you you learn that you can't forget. And I learned about factory farming, um, the cruelty, the unnecessary cruelty, mind you, the the unnecessary means of the fact that we don't need to consume animals to live healthy the amount of antibiotics that they put into them, the human growth hormone, the the chemicals they're spraying on the food to feed to those animals that we're consuming, the anxiety, the fear, the adrenaline. Like there was every – I became plant-based and vegan because of every single reason to do it. Mm-hmm. And there are so many. So I, I started out slow and I just – I cut out particular types of red meat and then I cut out all red meat and then I cut out chicken which was a big one for me because you know I I fell into the uh, 
category of the people that read the bodybuilding magazines and you know i've got to be a tough military guy and have muscles so i was eating all of the chicken breasts in the world every week and so that was hard to let go of but i i'd actually kind of gotten sick of eating chicken and to the point where now it absolutely disgusts me and then it was seafood and then it was you know the last vestige was eggs um i never had dairy because i was i'm lactose intolerant so that was easy but eggs were my last vestige of protein so the way that i combated all of that was just through education through research through google through what you were talking about before um instagram you know there are so many resources that can provide us with great information how to maintain this lifestyle there's no reason why someone would say i can't do this Mm -hmm. and i I really hate hearing people say that i oh i could never do this i can't i can't be a vegan you can do anything you want i hate i and it's not just being plant-based or vegan i hate it when people say anything i can't or i could never because we are far more capable than we give ourselves credit for Yes, I definitely agree. Um, and, and you're a true testament to that. You have overcome a lot in so many regards, especially losing two limbs to a shark and now being such a huge advocate for sharks and, and animals worldwide, like you just mentioned. In particular, I do want to ask you about, you know, you said at some point you stopped eating seafood. What were your feelings towards that? And what are your feelings towards that now as someone, you know, that is a shark conservationist and and really deeply loves and cares about the ocean? Seafood was hard for me because it was tied to me growing up. Um, And I think that is the mentality a lot of people have without even knowing it. They, They think they could never give up steak or never give up seafood because, the mentality has been passed down to them through generations. Um, you know, that's how you grow up. And I grew up initially by the beach. We always had seafood Christmases. I used to spearfish with my grandfather, fish with my father. And so I loved eating seafood. You know, I would eat, I used to brag, oh man, I'll eat anything out of the ocean. So the thing that changed my mind about that once again was just education. It was watching documentaries about you know, things like blackfish and documentaries about commercial fishing and the impact that it is having on our ocean the, in the means of how many fish are taken out, the, the bycatch of it all. So you just mentioned bycatch. Obviously, sharks are, you know, in particular, a very prominent victim of bycatch of the commercial fishing industry globally. Has your experience with the bull shark that you had impacted, you know, your feelings towards that? Yeah, definitely. I feel like we've been betrayed somewhat by the media, by the politicians in the fact that just like the meat and dairy industry that we get lied to and it's big business lying to us for profit. And once you you understand that and you see it in action, it really it really makes you angry that you're a victim to you know, sorry for swearing, but you're a victim to the bullshit. Um, so I refuse to be a pawn in that anymore. So I will never eat seafood again. And um, the horrors that the fishing industry and the commercial fishing industry commits on our oceans, you know, the one thing that keeps us alive, the ocean, and we as humans are decimating it through pollution, through overfishing and and it's being seen all around the world. 
from illegal shark finning to the small fishing villages around the world that have existed um, through subsistent fishing. Now they have to go further and further and further out to sea just to get half of what they used to get because the oceans are being destroyed. Mm-hmm. So it, it hurts my soul, you know. And the good thing about turning plant-based was it actually makes me feel good in my soul. You know, I, I haven't had an injury from training in three years, but the biggest thing is I feel really good in my soul that nothing has to die for me to live. And that's the most important thing for me. Yeah. And I do want to ask you about, you know, shark culls and the shark nets, you know, you being an Australian native and you are, I've seen you be very outspoken about you know, these shark calls and these shark nets. Can you explain for listeners a little bit like what is going on in that situation? And, you know, what do you feel is is really the best course of action? The shark nets and drum lines get deployed every year throughout Australia, mainly on the Queensland coast, which blows my mind because it's also the coast where the Great Barrier Reef is, where they also allow commercial fishing. One of the world's greatest natural resources and we just corrupt it 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 blows me away um so i went and toured the shark nets recently with some friends from sea shepherd to go and patrol the nets and see if there was any animals alive or dead stuck in the nets or on the drum lines Uh, fortunately that day there wasn't um, but the reason the guys are out there doing that is because the contractors only have to patrol those nets and drum lines on average once every two days. So anything living gets caught in those nets and they'll the nets will run for about 200 metres. There's about 36 drum lines and nets in total along the, the Gold Coast region of Queensland, which is only a couple of towns. And, and there's more all the way up along the coast. And they are there to... The scientists say, the fisheries say that they're not there to kill sharks. They're there to create a deterrent, but they are most definitely there to kill sharks. Um, The only problem is that the majority of sharks caught in the net are caught on the beach side of the net. So they're literally not stopping sharks from getting in. They're just catching everything that accidentally swims into it. And that includes, we've had whales caught in them, dolphins, uh, seals, lots and lots of rays, non-dangerous sharks, and then they just get left there to die. If we did that to any land-based animal, if, if a civilian did that to anyone, you'd be put in jail for animal cruelty. And if the government did it, then then they'd stop it straight away. Like You, you wouldn't have kangaroos and emus being caught in nets on land and left there for two days to die in agony just to catch some rogue dingoes. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you just wouldn't do it. The public There would be public outcry. And there is for sharks, but because it's such a heated debate and people want to feel safe, the government just reacts with these knee-jerk, short-term solutions that actually don't work. And so for you, as someone that has literally been bitten by a shark and lost limbs and gone through that very traumatic experience that you described these nets the intended purpose of them for those that are putting them out there is to you know protect people swimmers beachgoers that want to enjoy the ocean and don't want to be scared of sharks or have the fear of being bitten or encountering a shark so as someone that has had that happen can you kind of see both sides where do you stand on it 
Oh, absolutely. I, I can. And I feel for anyone that's been bitten or any family member that's lost someone because that was nearly me as well. But we have to understand that as much as we want to be safe in the ocean, that is a wild place. And we can't control something like that unless we destroy it. And that would take all of its beauty and all of its life away from it. So sometimes we have to understand that maybe we just need to take a step away from it. Now, in Australia, we have a lot of areas where we have deadly snakes, deadly spiders, deadly crocodiles, deadly jellyfish. And we don't go out and cull those. We don't kill them all. We, we inform people. We let them know. We put up signs and say, this is a dangerous place. Perhaps you should think twice about entering into it. And that's true with the ocean as well. There are certain areas where sharks inhabit more frequently they're hunting in those areas perhaps we could just take a step away there's been three shark attacks recently in a an area of queensland called the whitstundays and this is a beautiful place tourists go there lots of yachts and stuff uh, and a, a poor gentleman just died this week uh, from a shark bite unfortunately but he was swimming in an area where just the previous week there'd been two shark attacks now why would you enter an area where it's known that sharks are feeding and you could possibly be bitten? You know, that there needs to be more provided information by the, the local authorities, which they're finally doing now, mind you. But now they also want to kill the sharks. Now, this is an area, like I said, where lots of boats pull up, lots of people on yachts having their dinners and throwing scraps overboard. So there's going to be multitudes of fish there, which is obviously going to attract the bigger predators. So this is this could absolutely be a man-made problem that the sharks have been introduced to, and now we want to kill the sharks because of a problem that we potentially created. You know, it, it, We have to look at the bigger picture. This is the natural environment. It's the Great Barrier Reef. It's a very beautiful and wild and dangerous place. Sometimes we just have to accept that instead of thinking that we can control everything. Yeah, so obviously you you speak a lot about sharks. You're a motivational speaker. You do a lot of press. You're a TV presenter. And one of the programs that you are yearly very active presenter and host on our shows during uh, Discovery Channel's Shark Week. Can you talk a little bit about your experience working with Shark Week and how that's kind of evolved? It's crazy to hear all that, actually. Like, <laughs> I, I honestly can't believe how ridiculously good my life has become. I, I literally get to walk in the footsteps of my heroes. You know, I, I grew up enamored watching David Attenborough and Steve Irwin and all of these incredible wildlife presenters like Ron and Valerie Taylor. And now I actually get to do that. And I met Valerie Taylor last year and I walked over to her at a shark cull rally and I said, excuse me, Miss Taylor, my name's Paul DeGelder. And she looked up at me and she said, oh, I know who you are, dear. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, so it, working on Shark Week is, is incredible. I know there's a lot of people out there that, you know, some people like it, some people love it, some people don't like it, some people despise it. Um, and I understand all the reasons for all of those. But the thing is, you can never change something that you're not a part of. And so what I get to do in being part of Shark Week is I get to show them these incredible animals. I get to do what my 
heroes did for me. You know, Shark Week's my baby, and I get to work with incredible people. You know, I, Andy Casagrande, he introduced me to my first great white shark. We did our first cage dive together. We've swum with great white sharks 110 feet below the surface without a cage with four male great white sharks it's just you know joe romero incredible cinematographer all the scientists and learning so much and being part of that world and having experiences with sharks that you just cannot replicate it blows my mind if i didn't have the photos and the tv shows to prove it i almost wouldn't believe that i'd done all this myself yeah and i i so appreciate that because you know coming from a, a scientific background and a you know ocean conservation and education background you know i i have struggled with my feelings towards shark week but i so appreciate <clears throat> that you are coming in saying you want to show these incredible animals show what they're really about educate and inspire people to you know not only learn about them but to care about them and to you know help protect them even after what you've gone through so i i I love that you are just going with it at full force and and making shark week as great as it can be you know with your input absolutely and the reason we do this is me and my friends you know, we do this because we love sharks. We love the ocean. We we want to promote it. You know, they're, they're a tough PR client. I've got to be honest. They keep biting people. But, you know, we, we believe in, in their purpose and we believe in their beauty. And we want people to try and understand that. So, you know, we can't control every aspect of Shark Week, but we can portray these animals in our own words and our own feelings so that other people might love them as well and want to protect them as much as us. Amazing, amazing. So for you, what is the main thing that you want listeners or or anyone to know about your relationship with sharks and our relationship with sharks as a, a human species to shark population? I just want everyone to stop eating seafood. <laughs> just stop killing my friends. <laughs> um, what, the thing is, once you've been in the water with sharks, and I've done it all over the world with so many different species, dangerous, non-dangerous, terrifyingly big, there's just, you develop this incredible appreciation for them as a wild animal. Um, and I've had interactions with sharks that, they could have literally swum over to me and bitten me in half, ripped my head off, ripped off my other two limbs, and I'd be left with nothing rolling down the street. But um, they don't because they're not malicious, because they're not lurking monsters that want to, you know, man-eaters that want to kill us and eat our children. They're just, they're an incredible part of nature. And we need to appreciate that and we need to protect that because it's, part of what makes our world an incredible place the diversity the beauty the danger if we took that away we'd be losing something extremely valuable to the world well i so appreciate your sentiment on that especially knowing you know all that you have been through with sharks and i hope listeners that you are incredibly inspired by paul's thoughts that he shared today so Uh, Listeners, when I post this podcast episode, I will link to Paul's website, which is pauldegelder.com. And I'll also link to his Instagram and Twitter accounts. You can find him at Paul DeGelder. Uh, I highly recommend checking out 
all three of those, feel free to, you know, send him a message, tell him how awesome he is, um, you know, watch <laughs> his programs on Shark Week, all that. Yeah. Paul, I want to thank you so much for all that you're doing, all that you have overcome and all that, you know, your positive attitude towards life and towards respecting life and animals and the planet and the ocean. Um, and I also want to thank you for being on the show today. I really enjoyed talking with you. And thank you for everything that you do. You just heard Paul DeGelder, shark attack survivor now passionately advocating for the conservation of sharks worldwide. To learn more about the topics discussed in this podcast, visit my website at oceanallison.com. And tune into next month's episode to hear another conversation between me and someone creating positive change for the ocean.